Advent means arrival. It means arrival. It's a season of preparation for an arrival. Now, Jesus has already arrived. Why do we, why do we rehearse this? Why do we go through this again? Well, there's, there's so much that we look back on in the Old Testament as preparation where we see that God is doing something in the waiting. And to appreciate what has been given at Christmas, to appreciate the incarnation, it's so important for us to take a season to prepare for arrival. This, this Christmas season, throughout this month, we're going to be looking at Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, the fulfillment of those roles in the Old Testament, but also looking at how God fulfills something in us through those roles, in the waiting, that there are certain things that God only does and can only do in the waiting. Now, isn't it true that there, there are many qualities, or most of the qualities, or character qualities you see in other people that you really admire, are qualities that come because they have been uh, marinating for a season, or they have waited, they have matured, they have been patient, they have gained a sense of wisdom, they have a, a sense of peace or contentment. Aren't, isn't it true that, that the character qualities that you really want require a certain waiting? Or, or think about certain skills that people have. I, I remember one time I had to have a a procedure that involved a really long needle. I walked into the, the room and I looked at that needle and I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, you've, you've had this kind of experience maybe? Or you've seen how long the needle is? I wish I hadn't seen how long that needle was. And I kept waiting, you know, for the shoe to drop. I kept waiting for that thing to get stuck into me. And, and uh, he said, oh, that's it. You're done. And I thought, that's it? I didn't even feel it. The skill over decades that this doctor had acquired a season of preparation through a season of waiting. Imagine being in that concert hall and, and being worried about the high note that you know is coming and she hits it flawlessly, right? Just a long season of repetition. The farmer who's planting trees that, that will never bear fruit in his lifetime. And yet, when asked why he's doing it, says, I've always eaten fruit from trees that somebody else planted. The virtues, the character qualities that we most admire are forged in the crucible of waiting, distilled through seasons of preparation. The Old Testament is, is full of seasons of waiting that we have the benefit of looking back upon. Even, as, as you've heard me say before, the waiting has been assigned its own number in the Old Testament, 40. Those in Isaiah 40, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Uh, Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry, set my feet upon the rock. There are some things that are possible only through waiting. Some things that God does 
only in the waiting. And this season, let's consider how in times of waiting, God is always, always at work, fulfilling something in you. Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Today, let's consider Jesus, the prophet, fulfilling the word of God in us. From the word of God, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Hear God's word this morning. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, who hears these words and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great fall. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, authority, not as their scribes. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Light our path, we pray, and illumine us that we may see our way. In Jesus' name, amen. In the uh, 80s, there was a great marshmallow experiment. Marshmallow experiment. You know about this marshmallow experiment? They put kids, it's kind of cruel, really. They put kids in a room with nothing else, just a table and a chair, and they sat down and put a, had them sit there, and in front of them was a marshmallow. One marshmallow on a plate. And they said to each of these children, they did this hundreds of times, they said each of these children, they said, you can eat the marshmallow now, but if you wait 15 minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. <laughs> well, it just seems so, seems so kind of cruel, you know? And um, they set up a camera, and these kids would look at it, and they'd smell it. They didn't say they couldn't smell it, you know? Sometimes some of them would take just a little teeny piece off of there and just kind of, you know, taste it a little bit. Some would turn. They'd just sort of like, ugh, you know, just it, almost like, you know, uh, Odysseus binding himself to the mast as he goes by the sirens. You know, it's like, I don't even see the marshmallow, you know, turning away. And some of them sang to themselves and passed the time. But what they found time and again is that, is that children who had the ability to wait, to delay gratification, they were able to adjust to the demands and rigors of life much better than others. That delaying gratification was a key to developing the kind of character and qualities for them to be able to succeed in life. There are some things that God can only do in us in the waiting. How does he fulfill as prophet his word in us? How does he call us to enter into what he's doing in us through the word. He's using the word to grow us up, 
He's using the word to teach us. He's using the word to invite us to a way, a way, the way, the truth, and the life. How does he invite us to enter into this, this process of growing us up? What does he ask us to do in the waiting? And the answer this morning that we're going to look at is practice, practice, practice. Practice to develop muscle memory. Practice to have time to look back on, on a way that you have been walking and to see the benefits of it. And practice. Practice to, to learn to live by a voice that's not your own. Let's take a look. First, practice. Practice, practice, practice. Just practice. Just developing the ability to be obedient. Not to think about why am I doing it. Not to think about what, what, what's the goal. Not to think about uh, how uh, you know, my motives are mixed. Not to think at all. Sometimes it's just simply to develop the ability, just the automation to live by the way. To live by the word. To practice so much that this is just what comes out. When, the, when, when you squeeze the, the orange, that the sweet juice comes out, that, that, that what happens when we get squeezed, what, the way we react becomes a way that leads to life. Just because we've practiced, practiced, practiced. And to do what we know. Rather than to thinking of prophecy, you know, a lot of times people think of prophecy as all about prediction. Prophecy is not about prediction. Prophecy is, is a, a call to return, to remember, to line up again with the word. Yeah, there are predictions attached, attached to it that says, you know, if you line up with the word, there will be consequences. If you don't, there will be consequences. So whether you want the good consequences or the bad consequences, Line up with the word. That's the role of the prophet. And so Jesus is saying, just stop thinking about it. Don't overthink it. Obey. Trust me. Obey. Develop the muscle memory of obedience through practice, practice, practice. He says, verse 24, those who hear my, my teachings and put it into practice. He's saying... It, don't just keep layering on information without practicing what you know. Don't simply be intrigued by, by the prophecy and by the idea that through prophecy we can sort of see beyond the veil into the future. And this is often a distraction from just applying what we know, practicing what we know. People get intrigued about what's next, about what the future is, about how they can look to Scripture as some sort of code that they can unlock and sort of see uh, things, uh, other things that other people can't see. You can see things that other people can't see, but they're right in front of you. They're right in front of you to practice what you know. Uh, I knew a guy, uh, his name is, it really is Bob, and um, many, many years ago... Bob um, was worried about his future. And uh, he was worried about his future because his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather all died in their mid-50s of heart disease. And uh, he began to worry about this, to think about this. He began to see different specialists. And, you know, Bob could have spent years and years and years 
going to all kinds of different places. Uh, he, could have, he could have gone to all kinds of strange places to have people sort of predict for him what his future might be. To even even to, to, to read the science of his own body chemistry and his own habits and say, well, here are the percentages, you know. If you keep going this way, this is what it's going to look like. But instead, he decided to adopt certain practices that would mitigate against his hereditary uh, history of disease. And as a result, Bob lived a, a very long life. You can continue to look into the Word, in other words, and say, well, I'm just going to, I, I'm, I'm going to be uh, absorbed in the intrigue of what the Scriptures say. I'm going to, I, I'm going to keep connecting all the dots, and, and I'm going to try to look beyond the veil of the future. Or you can practice. You know, you, you know that, Five times seven is 30, just because it's automated, right? Just automated. Just trying to see if you're paying attention. You just know it. You know that it's 35. Just, it, it's there, right? And Jesus is saying, he's saying something similar to that. I want you to so practice what you know, practice what I've taught you, that it just, it just comes. It's just, it's, what's, it's what comes out of the orange when it's squeezed. Practice. 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 Well, second, though, if you practice long enough, if you practice the right thing, if you practice wisdom of the ages, if you practice the principles that really do line up with reality, with what leads to, to your growth to, and the growth of other people around you, if you practice it long enough, you can look back on things that you thought, that was crazy. I can't believe that I trusted that. I can't believe I did that. And you can look back and say, look at what God did because I trusted him. In a season that just doesn't make any sense to continue to just put one foot of trust in front of the other and then to have the benefit in the waiting after a season of waiting to look back and see, what he did, what he was able to do, just because in the waiting, you practiced, you trusted him, you put one foot in front of the other to see the benefit, not the immediate benefits, but the long-term benefits of putting it into practice. There's so many other competing voices, voices of fashion and fad that call us to think and to practice into a, a, a lifestyle or a way that, that doesn't line up well with reality, with ultimate truth, with human flourishing, with the way we're designed to live. There, there's so many voices around us. It, it, it's kind of fun to look back on things that people have said who are in the position to know better, but because of the trend of the day, they, they didn't know better. Here's some famous ones where people have made statements that just didn't age well. You know what I'm saying? Those kind of statements that don't age well. Here's one of the most famous ones. Guitar groups are on their way out, Mr. Epstein. Anybody know what that is all about? Guitar groups are on their way out, Mr. Epstein. Mr. Epstein was the manager of the Beatles, and the, the person who said that was the, the head of Decca Records. They turned down uh, signing the Beatles to their, 
their record company. That didn't age well, did it? Guitar groups are on their way out, Mr. Epstein. Uh, Marty Cooper, the inventor of the mobile phone in 1981. It used to be called a car phone. Remember that? Car phone. The car phone. Remember that? All right, I won't sing any more of that song. The guy who invented the mobile phone said this. Mobile phones will never replace wired telephones. How does the guy who invents mobile phones say something like that? Or why? Because of the age that we're in. You don't, it's the water you're swimming in. It's the air you're breathing. You don't always recognize just how, just how the cultural moment influences you. It holds us. <laughs> Here's another kind of crazy one. In the late uh, 1700s, it was fashionable to um, employ a hermit to live on your property. If you had some property, if you were, land, if you were landed gentry, it was fashionable to, to pay somebody who was older and wizened and, you know, to, to have a hermitage on your property. And so that when people would come over, you know, they wouldn't just see your great jacuzzi, you know. Uh, they, they would see that there was a hermitage on the back and they might go pay a visit to that hermit and, uh, and, 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 and you know, try to cull from him wisdom. You know, that was a, it didn't age well. It wasn't a good idea. I mean, that's kind of crazy trend. I mean, think of these trends that, that, that people follow. You think of the fads. What are the fads of today? What are the, the emotional trend, the, the emotional landscape or the, the, the ways that we think uh, about certain issues that are not going to age well, that, that think of your grandchildren, you know, even if you're very young, just imagine the, the kinds of things that you're buying into or believing that your grandchildren are going to say, I can't believe you all went for that. I can't believe that you all believed that. I can't believe that you all allowed that. I can't believe that you all couldn't see through that moment. And yet, we often are caught. Somebody said, Whoever marries the spirit of the age, whoever marries the spirit of the age will soon be a widower. And yet, what Jesus is calling us to do is to build a house, your house, on the rock. He's using a metaphor. That God is, God is calling us through his word to develop qualities in you, to develop a, a lifestyle, a mindset, a worldview that endures, that goes beyond the fads of the day, that doesn't get trapped in the emotional, uh, the emotional cage of the cultural moment. Now, some, of you are, some of you are very frustrated with the cultural moment. You, you can tell that people are just getting caught. They're being manipulated or, or in some ways they're just being guilted into believing something or allowing something that just isn't good for them. And what is Jesus calling us to do? To develop the patience, to live differently, simply to endure the fad. Not so that we can look back and say, look, I told you so, but but so that we can develop the character qualities that invite people into another way of life. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the, that's the purpose of the, the metaphor of the rock is to say, this is, this is a, a whole lifestyle to build your entire life upon truth that endures. You know, think of some of the things that we're called to do as Christians that we, you know, we're used to hearing them, but, but, 
But when you're called to actually do them, they're actually, they're, they're really quite difficult. Forgive. 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 Forgive the person who wrongs you. That's pretty tough. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's like, forgive. Forget that. There's no way I'm going to forgive that person for that. They don't deserve it. Well, that's exactly the point. And then, and then you do it, and you look back on it, and you say, I have found a lifestyle, a way of life that endures, that leads to, to wisdom. It leads to a sense of, of peace and contentment. It sets me free. Let's think of a couple others. Love your enemies. Not just forgive them, but love them. Regard them in your life to be set free so they don't take up you know, residence in your mind and heart in a way that poisons your life. Uh, we can't see that on the front end, and to practice it is so difficult, but when you do, when you let that person go, when you love them, you look back and you say, how amazing was that, that I just put one foot in front of the other? It's more blessed to give than to receive. That, what's, what's that all about? Well, when you try it, when you... When you give in such a way that sets somebody else up for success, when you, when you give somebody else credit for something they helped you with, but really, it, it, was, it was really your, your brainchild, but, but you let them own it and you let them take it. How generous is that? And then, and then to see uh, uh, yourself taken to a whole new level of leadership, a whole new level of, of, uh, of a way of being with people that enables other people's success. And to develop a, a kind of posture in life that is generous and content. When I am weak, yet I am strong. Those moments when, when because you were vulnerable, somebody else had access to you. Somebody else, somebody else found a sense of strength and encouragement because you pointed beyond your own strength to a greater strength in you and through you. This is how Jesus is calling us to build our house on a rock, to be able to, in the waiting, practice things that don't always make sense on the front end, but to do them long enough, to have patience with them long enough, to develop the character qualities long enough, we look back and see the benefits, maybe not always to us, but to the people around us. And finally, this, practice, practice, practice. Jesus is calling to practice what he alone has authority to call us to do. Authority. The word here, exousia, isn't the word that, that is where Jesus has power over the wind and the waves. This is, this, is a, 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 this is an authority. This is the author, the one who designed things, the one who understands how things works, how things work, calling us to live in a certain way way. But again, we have these other voices that are pulling us left and right. Again, it's our own, uh, our, our own flesh and desire for immediate gratification, our own impatience that keeps us from living under an authority that's not our own voice, our own little voice. Can't always trust that own little voice. That little Jiminy Cricket sometimes is is not really lined up with the author of life. And so to live in such a way that we are under 
authority. The baby boomer generation, you know, and the Woodstock generation will tell you that, that they were the first ones to, to say as a mantra, question authority. And we look back on the way that that has manifested itself generation by generation. Uh, as, one, as one of our political leaders has said, we keep defining deviance down. Chaos. We've embraced it. And Jesus is saying, don't live sanctimoniously. Don't live with a sense that you're better than, but live under someone else's authority. Live under authority. Jamie Smith has written a profound book, um, How to Inhabit Time. Obviously, it's profound, because how to inhabit time? I mean, only he has to be a philosopher, right? I mean, what does that even mean? How to inhabit time? I mean, who writes a book like that? Well, Jamie Smith writes a book like that, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, I'm going to read to you one quotation that, that I think provides a lot of texture and color to what, what it looks like to live under authority, to develop the character qualities, to live in such a way that's so compelling. He, uh, he recounts and contrasts two different moments where Tiger Woods is sinking a putt, one in 1997 and one in 2019. Listen to what he says. The image of the 18th hole back then in 19, the 1997 photo has the feel of a Renaissance masterpiece. You sort of picture everybody watching this thing, hushed. The portrait of a sea of faces as if illumined by one of the great Renaissance painters, Caravaggio, variously wrapped, gasping, rearing, all fixated and focused on the ball as it plummets into the hole, securing then. The gallery watching was alike, like one organism. No one there will ever forget Tyler pumping, uh, Tyler, yeah, Tyler could do this too. Tiger pumping his fist in the air, a young conqueror. This image was then contrasted, listen to this, contrasted. In the 2019 event, Tiger is still surrounded by a sea of people on that final hole, but their eyes are elsewhere. They're looking at their smartphones. Their faces are obscured by upstretched arms, and a thousand tiny replications of the event float above their heads. Bent on capturing the moment, listen to this, bent on capturing the moment, they are no longer present to it. I remember seeing this when I was hiking the Smokies. It took a couple of days to get to the point where we were, and we ended up on top of Newfound Gap, and I watched people drive up in their car, take out their phone, take a picture, get back in their car, and drive away, and I thought, they have missed the moment because they're trying to capture the moment. And Jesus is calling us to a different way. He's calling us to live under an authority where we live to receive life as a gift out of trust, to live in a posture, sometimes of waiting. We, we don't always understand what we're waiting for or why we're waiting or what God is doing in the waiting, but he's, he's, he's calling us to live under authority, to receive life as a gift rather than trying to hoard life in all of these digital moments. It's not to say you don't 
capture moments on, on film. It's not to say you're not, not taking pictures, but in, in such a way that you're also present to that moment. How do we do this? A closing moment here, just practically. What do we do with all this? Well, I'm going to give you three quick things that you can do. First, embrace the moment rather than rushing to the next one. Embrace moments. You know that moment in the grocery store where you've picked the wrong line and it's going so fast, right? I mean, and you just have this dread like, I picked the wrong line, you know? And, and you know, you're just kicking yourself at all this regret. How are you spending that moment? You know, the way you spend the mo- your moments is the way you spend your life. So embrace the moment. It, <laughs> Frederick Buechner says to... to uh, To be bored is to turn down cold whatever God happens to be offering us in the moment. Embrace the moments. Second, embrace the season. Embrace seasons cheerfully. Sometimes you're going through a season. Name that season. You're always in a season. Name it. Know what season you're in. Maybe you're in a season of preparation. Embrace the fact that you're in a season of preparation. And stop trying to buck it. Stop trying to push past it. Stop trying to circumvent it. Embrace it. Now, I, I think of people who have those. I, I always, I've, I've always found you know, crow's feet around people's eyes to be an attractive feature. I have. I just, I, I, it's somebody who, it, it represents for me somebody who has endured a long season with a sense of peace and contentment and good cheer. Embrace the season. And finally, this, embrace repetition. I'm going to read you one more quotation, I think, that is so meaningful as we enter into the season of waiting, the season of Advent, by G.K. Chesterton. He says, because children have an abounding vitality, because they're in spirit, fierce and free. He's talking about children being, they are in spirit, they're fierce and free, right? Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged, right? They say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. Isn't that true? But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning to the sun, do it again. And every evening to the moon, do it again. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has an eternal appetite for infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we are. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. What is God doing in you in the waiting? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for seasons where we can take a deep breath and a step back. Find us this season. May your word dwell in us richly. In Jesus' name, amen.